Okay, now we're joined to discuss those issues by our panel, former Fine Gael TD and Minister for Justice Nora Owen, former Fianna Fáil advisor Jared Howland, and Fergus Finlay, the chief executive of the children's charity Bernardo's. You're all very welcome and good morning. Good morning. To you. I suppose I should own up to being a former or something. Or yes. You're, you're yeah, another yeah, former. Yeah, we're full of formers. Yes. Yeah. Not, not, not that that suggests we're, we're not as prominent in our current roles Indeed. around the table. Yeah. Uh, of course, you're a former Fine Gael advisor in the Labour Party first. A former what? <laughs> Excuse <laughs> me. Former political advisor to the Labour Party. Party. For Fine Gael. Yeah. For, I wish. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't mind them a bit of advice now. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll come to that too, exactly. No, I have to say the most arresting headline was in the Sunday Times uh, Fianna Fáil in shift to partnership Jared what did you make of this? Well I, I had to read it twice and then I read it aloud uh, to Fergus um, uh, what was this uh, and I don't it's, it's, it's Windscale changing its name, it's name to Sellafield yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> basically I suppose um, it, it seems to be that instead of a coalition government per se under any label it would be a serial monogamy uh, between the two parties in government and that one would have all of it all of the time and then the other would have all of it for a, a period. I don't believe it'll happen. You don't? No. And what, and what will happen to... You see, first of all, the word partnership is a much friendlier word. It's more you know, user-friendly and you kind of get a sense it's it's like a, a good marriage. Fianna Fáil in particular yeah, coalition, adverse to the word coalition. Yeah, the word coalition kind of means you're adhering and you're coalescing and you're kind of getting all jumbled up with each other. Partnership is your equal. Now, I mean, talking about what Jared is saying there, can you just imagine a partnership that has based on the fact that you're a minister for two and a half years and you're a minister for two and a half years and halfway through the government, it, it has happened, mind you, when a government has fallen, but all that you were working on as one minister all gets put to one side and the new minister comes in and says, no, I'm not interested in that half done piece of legislation put it in the bin and I'm bringing in my others and nothing gets passed because it takes something like and, and the three of us around the table know this it can take two to two and a half to three years from the start of a piece of legislation to get it through onto the books and get it signed by the President And you're also by the way hugely empowering the odds for the casino by which I mean that the public service instead of having to run down the clock for five years to avoid an action it doesn't wish only has to run down the clock for two and a half years. The other issue, Jared, is um, one of the big problems, ir- irrespective of the fact that some in the parliamentary party of Fianna Fáil would seem to be in favour to some extent of the so-called Grand Coalition option, the membership won't wear it. Is there anything to believe that the membership would wear something like this when they wouldn't a coalition? Um, well, I suspect this morning is the first time that anyone is thinking about it because I haven't heard of it before, <laughs> frankly. Um, there's a constitutional issue, not that the Constitution would debar that arrangement being put into place, but the reality, as Nora said, is that once in government, you would then be uh, depending on those in to vacate in good order and in good time. Trust would have to be maintained on the other side through all of that period and then ditto thereafter. It's very hard to see it. If anything, greater trust would be required than mm. in the, your bog standard oh, absolutely. coalition. Can yeah. you imagine the speech that Michal Martin would have to make as mm. a Fianna Fáil or that called? So, no, no, it's not a coalition. I promise you it's not a coalition. It's a partnership. Yeah. But we've been there. <laughs> I, I, I think, I'm working from memory now, but I think if you looked at the programme for government of the 92 Fianna Fáil Labour government, the word coalition doesn't appear in it once. It is a partnership unlike any other. Um, 
But uh, not that model, Fergus. No, but it's, a, but it's described nevertheless as a partnership government. Guess what, Michael? Nobody ever bought it. It was a coalition government from yeah. moment one. That's how it was seen and that's how it proceeded. This is a mad proposition. Um, I, I mean, I read all today's papers um, and I came to the conclusion that we're all making it up as we go along. And that's fine. I mean, there's no problem about that because the politicians are making it up as they go along. Um, you know, uh, people are popping up with new ideas morning, noon and night. I mean, the idea, the idea, as Nora says, that, um, you know, you'd be minister for two and a half years. Rotating Taoiseach, I can, I can buy, I can understand that. But rotating minister for finance, rotating minister for health, rotating minister for housing, rotating minister for... You, the only possible way it would work, and just imagine this, would be if every minister in the Fine Gael government for the first two and a half years had a Fianna Fáil junior minister and at the end of the two and a half years, would succeed. he and became the junior minister. Yeah. And <laughs> the, um, so yeah. you would have this distinction between an auxiliary minister and a coadjutor <laughs> like minister. Yes, like so the coadjutor yeah, minister like would have the right in confirmations and they'd be doing all the, sorts of things. The story does raise one interesting dilemma that Fianna Fáil have, Fergus, and that is it seems that things are moving towards a Fine Gael minority government. In that scenario, Fianna Fáil will be negotiating very difficult straits in opposition between propping up the government yet opposing the government, particularly in light of the other opposition like Sinn Féin and uh, AAA. Well, uh, yes, and and, and here's the reality. I I think the reality, um, uh, and there's an irony in this, whoever is elected to government now faces a really difficult 18 months in economic and budgetary terms. Um, There is every reason to believe um, that you know, midway through the second year uh, of its term of office, it'll be beginning to look at a balanced budget. Um, And it could well have a pretty joyful run in to the next election from that moment on. Now, that's, you know, discounting external shocks, accidents, things going wrong and, and so on. But on present trends, the first year is the worst year. So... Fine Fáil have to resolve to keep them going through the first most difficult year and then sit idly by while they swan through, while, while things get better and better and better for them. I don't see it happening, Michael. I just don't see it happening. So what do you see happening? Um, I, I, from the very beginning, I mean, I, I, the, the worst bit of my morning this morning was reading Michael McDowell and the back of the Sunday Business Post. Open letter to Andy and Kenny and Michal Martin. Open letter and realising that I agreed with every word of it. Um, <laughs> he was absolutely and, nearly in tears outside. And the problem with that was that I wrote the same thing about three weeks ago in the aftermath of the election. I believed it then, I believe it still. Um, there isn't going to be uh, a sustainable minority government. It just isn't conceivable. There has to be a dialogue between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. I suspect it can't happen until either another general election or the president says, for God's sake, get your act together. And the president can only say that if Enda Kenny goes to him and says, I've tried, I've failed, I want a dissolution. At that moment, the president then has complete discretion to advise Enda Kenny to go back mm-hmm. and Gets stuck into a dialogue yeah, with me. I mean, one. I mean, Fergus is absolutely right. We we have still to face maybe two years, maybe this year, this year's budget and next year's budget, where we are still in serious trouble. And Michael Noonan began to raise that issue this week about the overruns in health. Um, it's the same Michael Noonan who three weeks ago was proposing yes, was to going abolish to get rid of the USC and all the rest. Yeah. yeah, I don't know where that lies now. You pick, you ch- take your choice out of the newspapers whether it's going or staying, but. 
it's it's a huge step for these independents and indeed for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael to actually say, look, we can take the pain. It's like sort of getting some sort of a medical procedure. It's going to be awful to start with, but you're going to be running around fine in two years. And one of the gaps that I think is missing in all this, I haven't heard that they've done it, are the independents, 15 independents, meeting separately together to have some unity among what they're doing. Because when you get further on, when you get further on and Enda Kenny says, we're actually, we've nearly have them on side now and we're going to give you three, we're discussing this outside, sort of three seniors and maybe three or four juniors and you, the group, have to decide. I mean, can you imagine the kind of rows that are going to go on there? Because the main names we're hearing are rural, more the more rural TDs. Where where yeah. does Shane Ross go? Shane Ross is doing his usual in the Sunday Inter this week of giving away all the secrets, ex- describing all the people who have loud voices and shout the loudest and everything. He doesn't make any mention of what he's doing at those discussions, incidentally. But I'm just saying that even if Enda and his team gets to a point where they have some kind of a document. They're talking now of a 400-page document. I'm sorry, but there'll be no way there'll be an agreement on a 400-page document. You want, I'm afraid, the five-point plan back mm. again. No, you, you. And, and so, so if he gets agreement and Fianna Fáil then are stuck, Fianna Fáil are guarding all the time against being blamed for another election. And that's, that's the thing at the back of everybody's mind. But at the same time, at the same time, they're saying they will not go into a coalition stroke partnership with Fine Gael be, largely I would suggest because the membership won't wear it. Well they're saying that but I mean they haven't tested that with the membership and the membership probably like all the memberships of the different parties are getting kind of fed up. I mean you read out the headlines there today. It's like somebody sat down in a room and say what headline have we not put in in the last four weeks let's find a new one. I don't know anything about that poll. There's no actual results in the paper giving those that, that Is there are a few we yeah. don't know when it was done um, and how many people were asked the question what, should me all Martin be the next t-shirt that, that is the thing Jared. I mean okay mm. us us who follow this thing closely may say we're getting fed up and we're going mm. around circles are the public that engaged are they cheesed off yet I mean mm. the markets and that externally there's there's no sign internally in terms of the public People are saying they're they're wearing thinner. Do they care? Is it, are people that worried at the moment? No, and I think um, maybe look. I need to get out more, but you know, I don't hear people getting worked up about it. In fact, I don't hear them talking very much about it at all. And I think there's a commentariat and a media that's worked up that's suffering from cabin fever over a Patrick's Day centenary. Uh, now going into week after week where there's no doll sitting, very little else uh, to write about. Uh, and it is getting worked up in a way that is not representative of a more general mood. And I think there is a bit of a frenzy in, in the media about this and about timelines uh, that is unnatural and not reflective. Yes, if there is any form of a crisis, inevitably there's a crisis, sometimes, somewhere, always... And we don't there have is, a there functioning is Michael, government. Michael, there is yeah. a crisis. There is a crisis. You're right. I mean, Sorry, there are a number. There's a, a wide crisis. range of of uh, social and economic issues that are pressing and urgent. But there is a homelessness crisis yeah. right now, and action on that is impossible without a government in place. Okay, but let's test that, Fergus. Mm-hmm. You're quite right. Homelessness. Sorry, I should have said action is impossible. 
uh, as politics is structured right at the moment. Yeah, and I accept that. So let's take homelessness stroke housing. It's a long continuum of closely related but somewhat separate issues. And it is a crisis. There's no doubt about it, right? And those longer term solutions can only be put in place by, 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 by a functioning government. It will not be happen under the ages yeah, of the this acting government, right? But let's test that too. Because we've had a government for five years and a previous government for five years before that. It had all the power and facility. But it didn't recognise that there was a crisis there, the, the, the previous government. No, but it also, it was, you know, government structures in the past, I think, led increasingly to bad decisions, not to good ones. Uh, and unless there's a, an opportunity here to fundamentally reshape how decision making is done, so that in future, I think fewer decisions may be bad ones. You're talking about rebalancing the power between the executive uh, and the bureaucracy. Abs- Absolutely. Uh, and this is a golden opportunity to take that out of this mess. But is is and Irish leave politics it as a capable thing. of that, Ger? Irish politics is remarkably capable of doing what it must to survive. Look what Enda Kenny is doing for the last week. He wouldn't in a month of Sundays have cogitated it uh, previously. So the great thing, uh, in Jean, in all politicians, is what do I need to do to survive? I mean, what essentially is happening now is what has happened after uh, uh, several elections where each party puts out its manifesto. It's different, and then they come, It is a it's bit different. different, but then they come together to form a government and they kind of scrap or clean away all the outer bits of the manifesto and come down Mm. to sort of a working programme for government. Now, my worry about what's happening now is the the kind of balance and Dan O'Brien has an article in the Sunday Independent. Very good piece about you know, the fear that because they're mostly rural TDs and, you know, rural Ireland is suffering terribly and all the closures of post offices and guard the stations (coughs) and everything. No government can promise realistically to reopen every post office no. that has been shut or reopen every guard the station. It doesn't make sense. They are promising to build 80 or 90 primary health care services and they're promising or making some kind of move towards giving some more services to the existing post office. So what's being done is Thing, but the problem is it will be skewered one way or the other, and we are facing huge difficulties in our industrial yeah, relations at the moment. Dan, Dan we have the Gardaí, we have the teachers all beginning to revolt. We have the whole Lewis thing. We have the tensions that are building up there, and it's hard to see how a group of independents, when they actually get into government if that's what they agree one of those issues could be the defining one that they all break away it could be the post offices yeah, yeah, Dan O'Brien makes the point just because yeah. we we're referencing it he makes the point that uh, there's a lot of rural TDs there the issue of rural decline is top of the agenda yet from economic data he's suggesting that the, the level of decline and the perception of decline in rural Ireland is nothing near as is being portrayed yet disproportionate resources will be given there than to areas, for example, of urban deprivation where they might be far more better I, I, the f- Well, the first suggestion I'd make to Dan is that he should get out more. Um, he should get in his car and he should drive around. Um, you, you don't need to always rely on economic data. You drive to Boyle, drive to Shillelagh in Wicklow, drive to Carnew in Wicklow, uh, drive to Yall in, in, in East Cork. See for yourself um, some of these towns are dying on their feet and it wouldn't take much. It wouldn't actually break the bank. Um, like, there are parts of Ireland still where you can't get phone reception. Never mind broadband. broadband. Mm. You, you know, you can't, get, you can't get phone reception. It wouldn't take much to fix that. It would take a different sense of priorities. It, wouldn't, it would demand 
a greater degree of urgency in relation to primary care, which has been a f- core policy of government for the last 10 years. But Fergus, but there's, another issue, there's another issue there about rural Ireland, and if you have that skewing in that direction, but the, uh, you, you could have a scenario whereby you have a lot of rural TDs who want to implement short-term policies that don't deal at all with the long-term decline in rural Ireland. You're back to the same old politics of the short term rather than, well, than the real issues. I, I think there is a need at the same time to, as somebody once said, shout stop. Um, I think there is a need to kind of say, look, we're going to reprioritise a couple of things that will at least bring a bit of hope to rural communities. I mean, you can't drive around Ireland without realising that there is now an enormous disparity between rural and urban Ireland in terms of poverty, in terms of hopelessness, in terms of facilities, amenities, in terms of community development, none of which would take a huge, wouldn't break the bank to begin to address some of those things. And by the way, the Heritage Council has a fantastic document uh, that they did late last year on how the centres of small towns, which really have been eaten out by development on the edge, how they can be rejuvenated. Absolutely. So there's a lot of detail worked on on how this can happen quickly. But it's also the case that that decline has been going on for up to 40 years and has been continually ignored and it's just now pronounced because we're coming out of a bad recession. Okay, you're listening to The Sunday Show. This is Mick Clifford sitting in for Shane Coleman. We're reviewing the morning newspapers with Nora Owen, Jared Howland and Fergus Finlay. Ah, Fergus, um, industrial unrest. It's getting unrestier as uh, perhaps Bertie Hearn might have once said, even though he didn't, but he said something in a similar vein. And Bertie Hearn is also... Well, he will though. He will. 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 (laughs) He's writing in The Sunday Independent today and... He's making a point about social partnership and one thing that just struck out was he makes a point that when he was Minister for Labour in 1987, when partnership first came around, this country was going through a sugar strike, a fire brigade strike, an ambulance strike, a strike in B&I um, ships and the first big strike in the ESB. Now, I think a lot of younger people would find such a landscape unrecognisable, but is there a danger we could be heading back in that direction? I don't think we're heading towards something quite as extreme as that. But I, I, I mean, I, I think some of the commentators who write about this rather ignore the fact that there's an awful lot of public servants, there's an awful lot of people in the private sector, and there's an awful lot of people in the community and voluntary sector who've taken cut after cut after cut in recent years. There hasn't been industrial unrest about lack of a pay increase. Um, instead, there's been a huge amount of what I would call forbearance uh, about reductions in living standards. Um, you know, I work in an organisation where people had their increments withheld, their pay frozen, and then their pay cut alongside redundancies, you know, during two of the two or three of the worst years that we've had. And that would be typical across the sector. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. In, in fact, it would surprise me if it was the other way around. If people aren't beginning to say, we're hearing all this stuff about the economy recovering, and still I am struggling, struggling to pay my bills, struggling to make ends meet. It's time after five, six, in some cases, seven years of no pay rises that somebody began to listen to me. Absolutely. But Bertie Hearn's point is that partnership would be a vital cog particularly at the moment in the environment. The choice, I think, is do we have some kind of national forum in which this can be addressed on a national basis or do we allow every individual to go and do their own thing? Um, I'm David Begg. Uh, has been making the point for several weeks now that it is time to revisit some of the older models that worked really well and social partnership was one of them. Now, it became devalued currency after a while. Um, 
you know, things like benchmarking undermined its credibility. Um, it's funny, we're talking about Bertie Ahern, a 21% increase in public expenditure in the year before an election, most of which was eaten up in pay increases uh, in 2001, was it, or 2002? Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't do anything to help either. Um, uh, but, but there is no doubt that we're getting very, very quickly to a point where a national forum, I think of the type that David Begg has been talking about, uh, would be would be really useful. OK, so you've already agreed with Michael McDool this morning. Now we've got you to kind of agree with Bertie Hearn as well. This, this I'm is having a bad day, aren't I? Yeah. I'm having a bad <laughs> this day. This is it. Oh, we, we'll have Jared. to give him a hot cup I, of tea you, after you, this. You used a Bertie <laughs> Hearn phrase. I, I, uh, I was at a meeting the other day where uh, somebody introduced a phrase which I thought, God, if Bertie didn't think of this, he should have. He said, what we need in this situation is more joined upwardness. Jared, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you... you, you hyphenated word. <laughs> the odd thing about Bertie, by the way, is in private, he never came up with any, came out with any of these singers. He was almost of Shakespearean clarity when he spoke in private. Yes, but he was only in public. And yes. if, you talk to, if you talk to British politicians, they don't recognise that side of Bertie at all. Yeah. No. And to give him his due, in terms of industrial relations, he was certainly, um, he knew what he was at. He did, uh, but I'm not a fan of social partnership frankly um, in any guise look it, it had an honourable uh, gestation back in the late 80s and early 90s and it did very good things it became a monster and I think the monstrosity uh, that was there in the noughties uh, you know it's a parallel with what's going on now in this post-election situation because you had public service management dealing with public sector unions I could never tell one side from the other Then you had an unelected community and voluntary pillar essentially demanding more money from more public services. And I could never really distinguish them from either the other two sides either. So where the public interest fitted in, uh, in the end, it simply didn't. And the government of the day was wedded at the hip to the process. You're describing a particular model of social partnership. I am. You can't have a different. The one that Bertie created and polished and developed you know, and it, in the end, it became the monster that you describe. And I, I wouldn't dispute that at all. That's totally different from saying, do we choose now to let Lewis drivers do their thing, nurses do their thing, teachers do their thing, everybody do their own well, thing? Well, let me explain. Or do we, do we look for some kind of coordinated approach to this? Yeah. I mean, the coordinated approach is good in principle, except that once you establish a mechanism, the mechanism a la social partnership, once embedded in a bureaucratic system, only does one thing. It grows over time into the future, as social partnership did in the past. Yeah, turn it free for all. Well, let's consider that for a minute, right? Uh, There there are things worse than people going on strike. Uh, One thing that's worse is a wrong or a bad settlement. And over time, social partnership delivered more and more settlements that were worse and worse. So having a bad year of it is not the worst of all outcomes, frankly. And in the context of an aftermath of an election uh, where there is an acute upward pressure on public sector pay, where the electorate took a view that they want more investment in public services, but actually you have a policy joined at the hip with trade unions that want most of that money not for but public general, services we, but for public servants in defiance of the public but interest. General, if we have pay. the bad year sorry Nora yeah, yeah. if we have the bad year you're describing you know with a variety of strikes and mm. reputation of industrial unrest etc etc the reaction to that will be to create precisely the kind of system you fear it makes much more sense to do something proactive coordinated and national it doesn't have to be embedded in a bureaucratic structure, as you describe. It doesn't have to become a monster. But but we're heading down 
because of and partly also because of lack of government were heading down into I think a potentially really dangerous undermining road um, where um, uh, a, a whole series of disputes will undermine everything that has my memory of the social partnership and why there was a lot of objection to it it completely sidetracked the doll now you might say that was a, a parallel good government thing. it was a mm. parallel government we never discussed it was the one issue John Bruton constantly brought right. up that there were the, these deals were being done outside now, it the doesn't have is, to be that model there's no, no it doesn't and absolutely right but we have a situation where the, that rather exotically called FEMPI legislation which its full title is Financial Services Emergency Measures Act 2013 that it's agreed that that will now be cast aside. Is that being discussed, for example, with the independents no. to say that amount no. of money has to be found no. to repay back? Think, you have the I teachers mean, and our, but you see, when you sit down, I, I agree with Fergus to a degree that you can get some kind of a, a national together, but how do you weigh up the value of no nurses in the hospitals against, say, the Lewis drivers, which is more important in the people's minds. They'll always opt for well, the I nurses, which even though they're not sick. They'll opt for the nurses because they're terrified they might end up sick and need that kind of service. So it's finding somebody who can run that kind of national unity get together and tell them at the start there's this ball of money there and that's as much and as far as any government can go to kind of satisfy your different needs. Other than that, you've got to divide it up among yourselves in whatever way you can. Well, I mean, the nurses are more important in the sense that the health service workers generally are a far, far bigger slice of the public service pie. And what they earn in terms of pay and pension, and people only talk about pay, the, you know, at least a half, if not the greater part of a public service package over their lifetime is their package, mm. uh, sorry, is their pension, excuse me, as distinct from the, their pay. And public service pensions are deeply inequitable compared to private sector pensions, the people in the private sector who have to fund them. Well, not but not never younger public servants at the no, moment. Younger no. public servants don't have the... the yeah, the who are sold pension. out by the yeah. said same yeah. public yeah. And public units. and private sector they were sold out. Yeah. Mm, Fergus, I mean, the, the, the term that's used frequently here is pay restoration. And there's an inference there that everybody should have their pay restored to pre-08 levels. Is that sustainable? Well, the, the term on which an economic recovery was built uh, in the late 80s um, and into the 90s was pay moderation. Um, and, and what is going to happen at the moment we have pay stasis. We have paid frozen right ac- effectively right across the community. And that is going to be replaced by pay explosion um, if nothing if nothing happens. I think pay moderation needs to be built into the equation. I don't see how you get pay moderation without and it doesn't have to be the kind of, uh, you know, Frankenstein that that uh, Jared is talking about. We have had in the past employer labor conferences. We've had national wage rounds and so on. It didn't go further than that. It doesn't necessarily have to go further than that. But I, I mean, there are people struggling out there, really struggling out there and people who feel uh, you know, you don't need to go into the rights or wrongs of it uh, in individual cases. There are people who feel I've taken hit after hit after hit and I've done it without complaining. I've gone about my job. I've turned up for work. But now it's my turn. Yeah. Um, now, you need to get a handle on that. Yeah. The, the country needs to get a handle on that. Um, and there are two ways of doing it. One is by letting it rip and the other is by managing it. Um, and, uh, you know, good managers will start to manage those kind of situations. And I'm, I would be really, really anxious if the alternative is, oh, we can't go back to the past. Let's just let it rip. Mm-hmm. 
let it rip is what destroyed this economy in the 60s and the 70s. Um, I mean, you know, Bertie Ahern talks about what he inherited. But I can remember bank strikes. I can remember strikes that went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and and dragged the country to its knees. But what worries me is that I don't think the discussion we're having here is going on behind the closed doors in government building. And it's it's what's... No no discussion is going on in government building. Yes, there there are individual you know, policy things, but they're not being discussed in the overall in picture yeah. of the framework of the economy as it is now. And as both we all said at the beginning, the next couple of years are bad because of EU regulations and everything. By 2018 and 2019, things will begin to improve somewhat. But it's well, getting we through to those years. Well, we don't. External factors but if we don't, ha- if we don't tackle this, Conor Brady has a very interesting article because he's forward gone forward in it's in the Sunday Sunday Times, Sunday Times yeah he says it's August 2017 and he kind of projects forward to what has been a year of government and how various things have happened and how the squeeze is coming and he, he heads it ignore the squeeze middle and industrial unrest may well follow the squeeze middle are the people that Fergus are talking about who are finding it hard to pay well, all the bills the squeeze middle yeah, is different and, I don't know who exactly yeah. the squeeze, squeeze middle, middle, middle are, a lot of people yes. are there is another aspect of all this we haven't discussed not only have our politics in a purely political sense become much more complicated and diffuse but politics within the trade union movement fully mirror that and are much more complex, diffuse and may I say bloody bitter than they, ha- than they have been in the yeah. past. And that There's the new leaders emerged Sinn Féin, Anti-Austerity Alliance, the divisions between all of them, the demise of Labour, all of that is going on in I a sense. I think you're making my case, Gerald. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, th- th- that is not a reason for standing to one side and saying let them at each other. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't manage those kind of things, but, we're but, looking at chaos. But hold on a second an embedded and increasingly large interest in these industrial disputes is politically, ideologically motivated to engender chaos for chaos's own sake in just the same by way. Whom? By whom? By, by people, by people aligned to anti-austerity alliance, people before profit and Sinn Féin, who are, of course are mutually against each other. So don't manage it. Don't get. Don't, no, I'm no, not saying don't manage, don't manage it. it I'm saying same calm. Exp- let's let's no, have no, them no, out. No, 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 no. I think too, Jared. I think Sinn Féin anti-austerity alliance would absolutely um, disagree with you there. I'm sure they would. Yeah, yeah. Mm. that's but their they, prerogative. They, they also yeah. violently disagree with each other, by the way, yeah. which well, is part of the mix, the toxic mix. And they're sitting within back some, at the moment. Within yeah. some of these, they're sitting disputes. back at the moment. I, I think, in fairness to the talks that are going on, it does look as if the fifteen uh, are very constructive. But one thing struck me. Um, 15 independents. Uh, one little thing to kind of maybe lighten it somewhat. Um, there's always been a lot of criticism of uh, people hiring their family or bringing them in. The Healy Rays have created a wonderful industry down in Kerry mm. now because Nora. all the family are in there now there's helping the negotiations and, there, and there, taking over talk, the jobs. And yeah. There's talk of a, a split, quite possibly a strategic in split Healy in the Healy Rays already. But, but there's a story <laughs> in the paper today which I actually confused. There's one of the, one of the papers oh. today has a story about a split in Renewa about who should oh, succeed yes. Lucinda. Well, yes, and yeah. when I read it first I thought that was a row between the, the two brothers. I, I got completely Ray, mixed oh, up between yeah. Ray oh, and Renewa. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean all of the Healy so Rays now, their daughters, their 
have, dozens yeah. of friends mm. are all in there. If that was Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil or Labour, being monsters. Being the headlines of the paper, somebody hires their second cousin will, as their secretary. Uh, in fairness, Nora, <laughs> the, I think it was John who once came up with the quote uh, down in Kerry, they suffer from the curse of peripherality, so you have to make some allowances <laughs> there. And I, that's I, a very I, big uh, word. Wait, wait, you're, you're really stretching it though when Michael Huey Ray hires an animal on his farm as, as his PR agent. I've never ah. known a man. I mean, I felt really <laughs> sorry. Ah, no, for first, man, the man got a kick. Sorry, fairness, he, he, he got, got a wallop. He got a terrible Oh, okay. God, did he get mileage out of it. Okay, we'll, we'll have more to come on uh, this issue and another in the next hour. You're listening to the Sunday show. This is Mick Clifford sitting in for Shane Coleman. Now, we're reviewing the morning newspapers with Nora Owen, Jared Howland and Fergus Finlay. Jared, um, there's been some coverage today and over the last few days over the various speeches by on Uchtaran Michael D. Higgins. Some on Harrison Ailish O'Hanlon in the Sunday Independent in particular suggesting that he has strayed far from the normal presidential brief in uh, introducing politics of various kinds to his speeches. What's your take? He strayed is not the word I, I would use. I think he has moved a bit. I think that is fair comment. I don't think um, it's, it's inappropriate per se. And I don't buy or agree with that the tone of his presidency overall is partisan or inappropriate. In my opinion, there are two, but only two, specific instances where he overstepped the mark. The first was some years ago in Liverpool. He arrived on board a Irish naval vessel uh, in his command, capacity as commander in chief. That morning, uh, the government in the door was between the crosshairs on the Savita Habapanava issue and he inappropriately intervened full stop. Uh, he said something a lot of us would agree with, but it was not his place to say it. It was a political matter. It was in the white heat of the politics of the day. It shouldn't have been said. On another occasion, he gave an interview to the Financial Times. That interview took was the main headline on the front page of the Financial Times that day, and it had to do with burning bondholders and so forth. Again, it, it dealt with something that should have been the political prerogative of the government of the day. Those two very specific issues aside, has he overstepped the mark? My view is no. Would I agree with his politics? No. But is it inappropriate for him to take that tone in his presidency? I, I, I don't think so. Nora, um, Justine McCarthy has a very interesting piece in this as well in the Sunday Times. She's come from the position that she, she's fairly supportive of yes, the stance okay. he's taking. She makes a point that our most successful presidents have been outsiders. But one thing she mentions, and this is where I would take exception to him, for a man who is a public intellectual of some repute coming out with statements suggesting that the young state that emerged in this country was entrenched in institutional conservatism because of the loss of such executed radical leaders as Pierce and Connolly, that's garbage. Well, I they probably wouldn't agree with him there. I think, first of all, he's extremely popular. Secondly, the rule is that every speech the president makes has to be approved by the government. It has to go through and you will recall an instant where Mary Robinson wanted to go and give a, a, a I think a, a lecture in, in the UK and Charlie Hawhey stopped the speech because and then uh, because he didn't like what was in it. But the problem with Michael D he is the intellectual that he is. He will have the written speech with him but he does tend to go off script very often. And He's also a long-standing politician. And, and he's he knows. a long-standing politician. I was at the wonderful location in the Royal Hospital where they were celebrating the women in 1916 and I know his speech was at least 10 to 15 minutes longer than they expected because you knew his head comes up from the page and he's, you suddenly know ah uh, ah uh, here he's going to go into now one of his own kind of areas and this is the problem I mean the Savita Halepanava thing was so such a burning issue he's from Galway it had happened in Galway he was 
un- unbelievably impossible for him not to make a comment. But he put it then, the elected minister yeah. for yes. health in the door he did, that he morning, put, yes. on the spot. He did, yes. Yeah. So, but I mean, I don't think, I, I think Owen Harris's article giving out right. about him and saying he didn't question the mandate of the 1916 leaders and that, I don't think that was his role. He's, he's in the eye of the storm at the moment too with regard to the formation of a government. So we'll be watching very carefully what powers in the constitution he might use in that area. Fergus, would you, would you agree with him that we'd have had a different country if Pearson Connolly hadn't been executed? Who has the faintest idea, Michael? I mean, like, <laughs> well, I know, idea. but even making that suggestion, <laughs> would I think, for some country, if uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying, make for somebody, somebody of Raymond Lamas had lived ten years longer. For than somebody did. of the president's repute, but sure, isn't that the beauty of it? Michael <laughs> D was elected by the people. He has a million votes. Um, I, I, I have to admit I'm still struggling with the notion um, that Jared introduced of Michael D as commander in chief um, <laughs> I know that's constitutionally <laughs> correct but I, it's, it's yeah, not, I, not something I ever want to conjure with my, uh, I mean the truth well. is the truth is I'm, sometimes I listen to Michael D and I can't make head or tail of what he's saying <laughs> I can't understand it and I long to read it and see if I can make sense of it and when I read it I can't make sense of it sometimes I listen to him and I feel uplifted uh, and it, like in the uh, uh, theatre the other night at the end of the uh, RTE thing uh, the Borgosh Theatre I thought he was phenomenal <laughs> and I thought there was a real sense of the old Michael D and I don't mean the old in political terms in just in oratorical terms I mean Nora will remember yeah. Michael Lee would stand up in the Doyle and for <laughs> 20 minutes or so he'd be like um, a plane taxiing to the end of the runway yeah. waiting at the end of the runway throbbing yes throbbing <laughs> yes. and then would take off for the last 10 minutes and in that last 10 minutes the Doyle Chamber would fill people yes. would come in people would come now, down from their offices you, you yeah. would never come out of the Doyle Chamber after one of those really uplifting inspiring speeches saying Michael D has answered my question he has <laughs> solved he, he is a man who is incapable of answering, uh, of proposing concrete solutions. That's the way his mind works. He's the, probably the greatest analyst and critic in political terms we've ever had, but he doesn't do concrete solutions. <laughs> that's, the, that's the public intellectual in him. Uh, I, I mean, the, the only thing that has bothered me about Michael D, um, I, I mean, I think he's been a phenomenal president. I think he's represented the country with pride. I think he provokes argument. He provokes debate. That's exactly as it should be. He's our president. Mm-hmm. We elected him. We put him there for that reason. I just wish that he would use his own accent rather than the put on <laughs> accent that, that seems to be. Ah, okay. The more carried away well, well, he gets, the accent very, gets. Very quickly, Jared. Um, he's very popular in fairness. Mm, correct. And he does yes, he is. Yeah. Would you like to see him run again? No. For two reasons. One, he said he wouldn't. And I think it would be good for politics that promises will be kept. Uh, and I think the second reason is that, you know, uh, it's good. Uh, somebody, a civil servant, I know very well, was up on the oars for many, many years. And he said eventually left because if you're there long enough, you will go mad. <laughs> OK, Nora, w- one other story, yeah. just very briefly before we go. I think it's starting in a few minutes time, this interfaith ceremony in Glasnevin Cemetery yes, for this new wall to remember all the names. 488, I think. It'll be unveiled. Um, but the structures faced some criticism. Some are saying it's inappropriate to British soldiers and those of the British forces, which include a lot of Irish people who were in, in the police Thousands service, even in the army. In, yeah. They are named alongside the, the fighters, uh, the revolutionary fighters as they were in 1916. What's your view? Well, I, I, I'm not unhappy with this and it's done alphabetically so it's not giving priority to one side or the other. These people did all die and uh, if we are uh, at a moment of reconciliation and we've had a wonderful week or more of, of, of uh, recognition of what happened in 1916, wonderful reports <laughs> from family members 
members or the next generations down and I've met many of them and they're so pleased and proud that at least their person was recognised. Yeah, recognized. the relatives organisation has, uh, has a very vocal problem with it. Yeah, but well, they may second. have, but I mean, like, they, they, these people did die in Ireland and as you say, a lot of them were yeah. Irish people and in most memorials when you go around the world and look at them, you see a mixture of names from, from all sides. And then after decades... Easter uh, 1916 commemoration was reinstated 10 years ago for the 90th anniversary. It was done very specifically in the context where not only was the rising commemorated, but so was the First World War, and particularly the Somme. Mm. That is part of the dispensation of politics in Ireland in the late 20th, 21st century. Okay, uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Fergus, I can't get to you on that one. My thanks to Fergus Finlay, uh, former Labour advisor and now Chief Executive of Children's Charity Bernardo's, former Fine Gael TD Minister Justice Nora Owen and former Fianna Fáil advisor Gerard Howland. All of them are current as well and they're (laughs) certainly very current and we invite them in here. Thank you all very much. This is Mick Clifford sitting in for Shane Coleman. Lots more to come here on the Sunday show.